Welcome to The Faith Space. We are your hosts, Kate Newell and Dylan Doyle-Burke. The Faith Space is a leadership development organization dedicated to creating a holistic and sustainable world cultivated through personal empowerment and systemic transformation. Join us in reclaiming our connection and reviving our faith. Today, our guest is... Oh, it's... Us, Dylan. Oh my God. We're the guests. Dun, dun, dun. How does that make you feel? Uh, Partly empowered, partly a little nervous, for sure. We're in the hot seat, right? We we are. We're in a cold room. A freezing cold room. (laughs) A freezing cold room, but in a hot seat. Mm. We're working with those dialectics. I like that. (laughs) Um, So why are you nervous? Oh, because we're going to interview each other, and I don't even know what you're going to ask me. <laughs> it's funny because I don't even know what I'm going to ask you. Ooh. It's, yeah, it's the wonder. We're just call-in spirit right now. Yeah, Show up in this space. <laughs> give us the question. We're doing it live. But we're going to be talking about uh, what is a faith space and what is our faith space and why the heck did we create an organization called The, the Faith Space? space. Um, and that's a question that we've received a lot over our first few episodes is, uh, this is all really great, but who are you? Who are, are you? we? I who? mean, that is the existential question. So we'll do our best to answer today, but we're excited. This is, I agree. I'm excited that people are actually interested <laughs> in knowing who we are. Um, it's great for the ego, really. Really? <laughs> which is... Which we check all the time. Constantly. Constantly. Um, how should we really get started? I guess we, we could talk about the space that we're in. Sure. We are in a, a classroom at Denver University in the engineering building because it has fabulous acoustics and enough whiteboards to uh, suffice for Dylan. He has a relationship with whiteboards at a level I have not previously been exposed to. Now you might call it a, a spiritual connection to oh. uh, writing things down. Some people might call it you know, a, a need to, to control, but I mm. would call it... Uh, a love of, of white spaces. Ooh, oh, God, that, oh, that's just that's an issue. That's a big issue. Mm. Please, let's not say that. No, let's, let's check our privilege on that. Sure. You know what I mean, though. Uh, it's empty space, right? Blank it's space. Blank space. Creative right. space to... I, and I do like it, too. We, we had to get about eight colors mm. to put on all the boards. <laughs> to, we love doing this work, and it's fun to map it all out and then erase it and start over. And the reason why we wanted to record this episode here, and I think a good entry point to this conversation of a faith space, is because this is the space that we have put a lot of hours of work into in creating this organization, and it's allowed our own spiritual journeys to arrive at just where they are right now um, because of all that hard work and all of that God work, we might say, the spiritual work that we've put in together. Absolutely. And we came to this space and we call the faith space the faith space because, well, to speak for myself, I was really losing faith in a lot of ways. Um, This world is getting scarier by the minute. And I, even though I'm an inner spiritual minister, was not knowing what to do. And I felt really powerless in a lot of ways. So I I love that we've created an organization that does kind of the exact opposite of empowering and then the recalling, reclaiming that faith and, and really reviving it. So the work that we do in the world sustains me and reminds me that we're not alone, that we're all in this together, and that work is really being done to become more in alignment. 
And that's what I love about a classroom. It's always been my cathedral. It's always been the space for me that has been the most expansive. I can always come with really cool people, chat around a table, and it feels like we're changing the world. Um, so I find like the land that schools are on to be the most transformational for me. I love classes. I love school. I love teachers. Oh, yeah. I love all those things. That's why I'm, I'm going back to do my PhD in a second um, in the fall. Uh, we're recording this in summer 2019. And mm-hmm. so in the fall of 2019, I'll be going back to school because I miss that as my spiritual space um, for a long time while I was out in the field as a full-time minister. But Kate, you mentioned the word faith, and we both have a lot. And you mentioned it in particular about that you had lost faith or you were losing faith. And mm-hmm. when you said that, what came to mind for me is what was the faith that you were losing? Mm. I think part of it is my privilege and my ignorance of, uh, of the American dream of I thought I had something and it turns out I never did have it. So that's, that's part of the faith of, of realizing that this country was never what I thought it was. Um, but through creating the faith space, I've, um, it's, it's truly been revived in ways that I was highly critical of capitalism, of consumption, um, of our communities and of systems. And actually this work has been life-giving and we could not have created our organization without a little bit of capitalism, without entrepreneurship, without some of these really expansive systems as well. Um, and a little dose of our privilege. And for me, it's how I utilize my privilege that like sows the seeds for the world I really want to create. And um, so then what is the, yeah. that intersection between privilege and faith? Is there one? I think it's just different lenses. I wouldn't say, and I don't, I don't really know what you mean by that. It I was, guess. it was it just interesting. It? it was interesting when you talking about the faith that you lost and you went to privilege for me, that's not where I would have gone. Um, mm. For me, when, like, I've, I've had a very long journey with the concept of um, faith, and I come from a tradition in Unitarian Universalism that believes that God and faith can be many things, um, and we cast a really wide umbrella, and sometimes it's too wide. When I was uh, growing up in my tradition and going to Sunday school, I was taught that I could believe anything, and I could have faith in anything, And uh, that was an issue for me as a child because I actually really wanted something to believe in. And so all of the adults in the congregation, it was very liberating to them because they could believe anything they wanted, but they had already been oriented throughout their lives with something more uh, foundational, I would say. So there were a lot of former Catholics. There were a lot of former Presbyterians. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of former people that were told what to believe, and now they had this space in Unitarian Universalism where they could believe whatever they wanted to, and they wanted their children to know that they could have faith in whatever, that their faith space could be wherever. But then I and a lot of the people in my generation of the millennial generation came along and said, well, it's great that I can believe anything, but what does that mean I can actually believe in? What is my foundation in my faith. And so it's led for me to have a lengthy journey through seminary, through identifying as a Buddhist at certain times, identifying as a Christian at certain times, now just identifying as Unitarian Universalist. Um, and I can you know, talk more about what that means to me. But it was interesting to me. The, the that, anti. The, like, well, like a lot of people's face is what you're saying, like their experience is 
devoid of, that's what makes something. And you were like, let's fill up the cup. Let's mm-hmm. just not define the cup by what's not in it. Like, like give me, give me something. But also, um, it, it just, it was interesting that you went to, to the privilege of what you were losing faith Because in. the faith for me is often an illusion. And I think that's okay. I think that it's okay to, to I, many times I've been an atheist at many or agnostic many points in my life. Um, and that's okay. <laughs> so I know what it's like to lose my faith many times, not just in God, but in people, in society, in our country, in myself many times, in my own family. Um, so I, I think that that's why I feel so strongly about faith maybe because my foundation right now is extremely hard, <laughs> extremely fruitful because I've lost it so many times that I know what is truth for me in so many ways because I, so much has been taken from me. So it's interesting. We have very different orientations. Um, and I grew up in a very similar situation though. My parents let me go to wherever I wanted to go. They didn't care. Um, I went to all different mosques, cathedrals, um, youth groups doesn't doesn't really matter. I tried every faith on um, because, of course, like any rebel child, I did not want to be what my parents were. They were in her faith, and I was like, "No, I shall choose something." Uh, turns out, I I'm still <laughs> in her. I'm actually a step further, I guess, in her spiritual versus in her, in her faith. But uh, that definitely painted it for me. So it's interesting because I became even more out of the box. I became as an adult, constantly pushing the boundaries. I have two degrees and neither of them are normal. They're both interdisciplinary. I designed them both. (laughs) So it's interesting to hear you say that you needed this construct for your faith space. Do you, so you like the walls in this room, you like the whiteboards, you, you need certain, like what if the desk wasn't here? How would you feel? Oh, I'd freak out. Yeah. yeah no. <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a big... Um, well, it's, it's weird because for me, in my personality, I'm very much rebellious. I hate to be told what to do. And if you tell me what to do, I will act in the exact opposite. I can vouch for this. <laughs> and, and I really do need that uh, structure where I felt most lost in my faith journey um, or in my career have been times where I've just let things happen. And I've ended up in places that I didn't want to because there weren't enough walls. Where I felt most called and most fulfilled in my faith journey have been the times where I've been in a community um, where there's been clear expectations for what comes next in my career. And there's always, of course, been that uh, need for creativity in what I do in my life. But it really does help me when I have those guardrails up for for me and for my life. I just find that Phenomenal because of what we're creating. We're cr- the faith space is so beyond, so expansive of what so many traditional faith spaces in our society look like and feel like. Um, it's just so fascinating to hear that, that you like a little bit of confines in it because I feel like what we do is constantly push the boundaries. Like whatever, even regular spaces, like they think they're pushing it. Like people think, oh yeah, inner faith is really the edge. And we go, okay, no, inner spiritual. And people think, okay, some you know different denominations of ministers. And we say, no, interdisciplinary. Anyone can come. Anyone's a spiritual leader. So that's fascinating. So, and I think we should clarify some of that for listeners uh, right now about what, about what we're doing. Because you identify it as inner spiritual and we identify this 
organization, which is a leadership development organization of the faith space, Absolutely. as an interspiritual space. And I also noticed that we are talking about faith, but we really haven't defined it. And so you talked about like the different things that you can have faith in, mm-hmm. but we didn't talk about what that is because you also said that you know you went to different faiths as a child um, and different. This is a tricky word, and we utilize it in society. It's also English has, I'm sure, some confines mm-hmm. in how we can apply that. And it's what we've based this entire organization around, and our entire careers around. We both have our Masters of Divinity from Union Theological Seminary. So we have Master Divinity. We have Master Divinity, and yet we have spent however much time talking around what faith faith is. is. Yeah. How would you answer that then? How would I answer that? What is faith then? Can you define it? Is it a thing? I can try to. I dare you. (laughs) (laughs) Devil dog dare me to define faith. Well, I'll just say too, really quick, that I, I think that if you leave seminary with more answers and questions, you've done it wrong. If you meet a minister of, of anyone who's a faith leader that, that has more answers than questions, um, they don't get it because there still is so many more questions. Like we, for me at least, I, I exited Union. We went to, Dylan and I actually both went to Union Theological Seminary at Columbia University um, where we first met. We should really, should we define faith first or should we talk about the day we met, Dylan? The day we met. <laughs> Let, so while Kate was talking, I was using the power of Google to look up the Oxford English Dictionary definition of faith, um, which I think we actually might have some issues with. But number one is a complete trust or confidence in someone or something. And number two, a strong belief in God or in the doctrines of a religion based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. I really like that definition. I think that number two does not really resonate. I don't like any kind of dogma, but I I completely agree, actually, with the first part, the trust. I actually have a tattoo um, that says trust um, on my wrist um, in the infinity symbol, and it really is my most... um, favorite tattoo because it really reminds me every single day. And it's usually the moment I freak out about the universe and I have to go, oh, I have to trust it. So the first definition of a complete trust or confidence in someone or something is something that resonates with you. Absolutely. And that's what I think that when we talk about reviving faith, we're reviving trust, really. In, in, in Whether it's a system or a person or a relationship or a community or an entity or in molecules and quarks and atoms, whatever the answer is, um, yeah, trust. Those words are extremely connected for me. What I what I had a reaction to was the word complete there, complete trust mm. in something. And what I resonated with was more the second definition, which was the strong belief in God based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. And in my own understanding of God, you don't prove God, you believe in, that's for me what belief is, mm-hmm. is not necessarily having something that you can hold, but something that you know is true based on your personal experience, based on the wisdom of various either religions or wisdoms of the world. Uh, but it's not something that you can necessarily point to and say, this, this is faith. And that's why I liked what you were saying earlier is that for me, faith is always active. It's always a Absolutely. faith in something. So faith in the political structure or not so much, faith in uh, how the world works, faith in 
that if I do X, then Y is going to happen. And next. I, yeah, I struggle with this because I don't think that, um, that equations are the answer. And I don't think there's an equation for faith. I don't think there's a an equation for God. And so um, I struggle with this a lot. Um, it's caused me a lot of pain in my life. Um, trying to, this proof piece, I've studied half of the time in seminary, I was over at Columbia studying metaphysics, quantum physics, evolutionary biology, trying to hack God in the most scientific way possible. And uh, I don't know if you heard, but the science hasn't had an answer either. And so the same Questions that scientists are asking, the theologians are also asking, and it's, um, it's we're not getting anywhere necessarily. It's we're still having faith in the not knowing, and so I guess for me, I like the complete trust. I think that it's that you know where you take a step and you don't know that that thing is there that you have to trust that it's there. Like we trust that the sun will rise tomorrow. We trust that the light will turn green. Um, we trust that we'll wake up and the person you know in bed with us still loves us, and that's that's all part of it. We trust in the, in the maybe into the tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I think some of the most powerful spiritual moments of my life have been times where I've been able to have complete trust in someone. Say, uh, marrying my wife. I have a lot of there was a lot of trust that almost complete trust in that moment and in that this is the right thing to be doing at this time. And uh, I think that some of the times that I've been most harmed have also been times where I've had complete trust in something, Mm -hmm. either in a structure that I expected to support me because it said that it was going to and then it didn't, or a person, uh, a parent who said that they were going to do something and then acted opposite from that. So I think that's part of my... um, reaction to that is that that complete trust because there's a lot of vulnerability in that extreme complete trust I also think that you and I we are we both have many many um, uh, years to combine together in hospitals as hospital chaplains and that was something that kept coming up for me of why do good people get cancer or get in a car accident like people can do all the right things and still have really bad things happen to them and sometimes really horrible people um, maybe like our president, uh, have really great things happen to them. And um, I don't know the answer to that. And I think that by focusing on an equation for God or the universe, that's what really gets us into trouble. I think we can try to understand it the best we can, but that's the beauty of faith is that we we go, okay, I know this piece and this piece. It's like the whole elephant thing, you know, when you, the whole, like every person is blindfolded and touches a different part of an elephant and they go, okay, what animal is this? And they can't figure it out. Um, so is that what interspiritual means to you? Absolutely, because spiritual is d- different than um, faith in our context. So we're, we're, how we're using faith is more spiritual. How I think religions, like when I say, like the word interfaith, it means between religions, basically. And interspiritual means between humans having a personal relationship with their idea of creator. And that connection, their personal connection to the universe ebbs and flows every day. How I view God today is so different than last week and certainly different than 10 years ago. Um, That's why I've had a really hard time sticking to a faith, right? I keep going back and forth between religions and nothing has really worked. So I was like, all right, I'll just, uh, I'll just do it all. And that way also by being interspiritual and by creating something like the faith space, we're so welcoming a huge piece of my value and, and and what I believe on this planet is that um, 
everyone is welcome. And so that's the beauty of, of the faith space that we've created is that everyone is welcome, regardless of where you're at on that faith journey and how you would define faith or God or universe or whatever. That doesn't matter. It's about the calling and it's about the trust in yourself and in your ability to be a leader in this world. And it's depending on that outside source in whatever way that you do and relating to that source in whatever way that you do. Um, I love learning the languages of spirituality. It's so much fun. The more people we meet in this work, it just enlivens me and awakens me and reminds me that we are one small speck in this whole big world. So it helps me release control too, because I... I like it too. Who doesn't, right? But I, it's a constant reminder of, oh, no, I don't really know mm. really what's going on. I can just participate in this the best I can. And I think that one thing that becomes clear as we talk even for a few minutes is some of our similarities in our vision for this faith space and how expansive it is and how it is welcoming to everyone um, and how it will help, hopefully, help leaders, how it's a leadership development organization, leaders of all different spiritualities, of all different walks of life. Uh, but also from this conversation, it becomes clear of the differences that the two of us have in Absolutely. where we've been. Um, and we both have done, we've had very different paths to this point. You've worked in politics, you've worked as a chaplain, you've worked in so many other, you've driven Lyft. <laughs> I've driven Lyft for a little bit. Yeah, but I've also done a lot of leadership development, um, more in education settings. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, a lot of conflict resolution work, conflict transformation work. And, you know, over on my side, I've worked at the United Nations, worked with various congregations. I currently serve a congregation as a minister here in Denver, um, going this PhD route. And yet we still came together to create this single vision. And I know you mentioned earlier um, our our meeting story. And I'm wondering if you wanted to tell Aww. that that meeting story just to make yeah. the tears flow. I no, <laughs> it wasn't really a tearful day. <laughs> That's so funny. Dylan just thinks I cry all the time because my sun sign is in cancer. Uh, it's not the case. I just like to cry, you know, almost daily. No, just kidding. <laughs> Probably weekly though. Um, the first day we met, so union where we went to seminary together. Um, I'm actually older than Dylan, but my life took me in a few more twists and turns. So he actually was a third year, and a Master's of Divinity is a three-year degree, and he was a third year, and I was just entering my very first year. And just moved to New York City, <laughs> had no idea what I was doing. It was the biggest risk of my life, might still be the biggest risk um, of my life. And the second day that I was there, after I moved in on campus, it's, it was a Sunday. And so they do this thing at Union for new people to like match up with other like more con consistent students or something that that already have a faith tradition that go to a certain congregation or something. And I am interspiritual and I would I love church, any kind of church, but was looking for something that would be really open to me that I would, you know, brand new city, had no idea what was going on. And um, so on the list was the Unitarian Universalist, which is a really open denomination. I'm not a member, but I've often gone to UU churches in lots of different cities, and it's been incredibly healing and always welcoming. So I knew that I at least would be like safe there, I suppose. And I just met Dylan down in the lobby, and we took the subway to Fourth Unitarian Universalist 
Church? Is that what it's called? Fourth Universalist Society. For, okay. For Fourth Universalist Society in the city of New York. Is that the They word? might be rebranding. It's just called like sure. Fourth U, is that we know it, but... Well, that's how I know it. Yeah. I'm not an aficionado. That's so we actually our connection was often through you because not only did we meet that day, but then we had a class the next semester, a preaching class, and it was just in the UU tradition because it was the only class I could take at Union that wasn't preaching on the Bible. So I said, okay, where do I sign up? And I was in a class with a bunch of people like Dylan. Mm-hmm. To just to, to be clear, Unitarian Universalists do use the Bible. It's one of the ways that we find meaning in our tradition. But okay. if you go to a service, you won't always hear the Bible. We don't follow the same uh, liturgy that um, a lot of other Christian churches use. And so I end up in this class. Just for clarifying. I just <laughs> I like to be clear that we're not always allergic to, uh, no, to biblical I like the Bible. Yeah. More now after seminary. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of good stuff there. It was in that incredibly Bible. healing. I healed my relationship with Jesus big time there. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up in this preaching class with uh, Reverend Galen Gingrich, who serves All Souls in New York City, one of the biggest Unitarian Universalist churches. And uh, Kate introduced herself as someone who was not Unitarian Universalist, and I remember thinking in my head. What the hell is this person doing here? <laughs> I was like, what? What is she? Is is she trying to work on her preaching? Is she trying to be, like what? What is? Yeah. What, and and then is that so bad? No, not at all. I was just I like, never I was just really done that before. Startled because I think everyone else in the room had identified as as UU, and so I was just. You talked about your background and your background in in politics a little bit and what you identified as. I think I don't know if you mentioned your New Thought background. Um, but I was just really uh, surprised mm-hmm. and intrigued. <laughs> and um, I don't know if you had the same experience in, in that first I, moment. But. No, because I, maybe ignorantly now, I'm like now questioning, I felt very open with the <laughs> UUs. I didn't think I would be seen as the other. Uh, I did feel like that a little bit, though, in, in that class. There is a certain, and as anyone who has ever been a part of a faith tradition knows that there are certain language and people that you know or or like more famous people in your movement or whatever certain books or I don't even know, like ways of doing the service and I didn't understand any of that and so I feel like I kind of walked into this class and really learned about your denomination from a, just listening I listened a lot mm-hmm. and uh only preached a few times, and it was terrifying, y'all. If you want to really push yourself in your leadership, actually, try preaching. Um, it was incredibly challenging, and it was a huge risk for me. I think to do it in front of my peers is, I think, worse than strangers. I'd rather just talk to strangers. Uh, and to really put into 10 minutes what you think people should know in the world <laughs> and what you think like the truth of the universe is or whatever. Oh man, that was really hard. Yeah. And as, as a class went on, my immediate uh, skepticism as the third year student um, was, uh, I, I was really, I think, uh, really impressed with your ability to adapt into that space because we did throw around a lot of acronyms um, and we did, yeah, it's, it's any faith tradition, like you said, it has its own language that it speaks. Um, and I think it was really helpful for the folks in that class to hear your language that you were bringing, which was different than ours, so it wasn't that echo chamber. And so then I graduated, and you continued going to Union, and then you graduated, and then we both ended up doing hospital residencies mm-hmm. in different parts of the country. And then we both ended up this past year, as uh, so 2018-2019, in Denver, Colorado. Me, because I served, uh, was called to serve a congregation out here, and um, 
you because... I came back because the South was... I did a residency in Virginia, and it was really a lot in a lot of different ways. It was very tough um, to come from an open space, to come from New York, and then to go to Richmond was really tough um, to be so interspiritual. So, yeah, I came back to Denver because I grew up here, and it's the last place that I really felt was home. I made New York home, but in a different way. And we... Dylan and I remet at the Capitol because we were testifying for Interfaith Alliance of Colorado for this bill um, for comprehensive sex education. And we gave great testimony. And really, we we're I saw you walk in the room, and I was like, of course I see another union grad <laughs> in this room. So that's when it started, and um, we had lunch couple weeks later and the rest is history. The rest is history. And you're experiencing it right now. (laughs) (laughs) And so part of, I think, our calling as ministers, we both identify as ministers from different traditions. Um, Or do you identify as being from a particular tradition? I do. I'm a fourth generation member of the New Thought Movement. Um, And there are moments I subscribe to that and moments. I use the word subscribe. Mm -hmm. I don't think I belong Mm. in a lot of spaces. Um, It's been really hard. To, to do that, which has been beautiful. Uh, that's also why I created the face space <laughs> with you. Is I feel at home here. Mm-hmm. And there, and I think a lot of people, especially our age, really feel that. And a lot of leaders in particular, whether you're a leader in the business setting, mm-hmm. leader in the tech industry, a leader in congregations or nonprofit or wherever you find yourself, um, at least from folks that we've talked with and even colleagues that we have, when you're a leader, it can be profoundly lonely and you don't always know what your home and what your space is and you don't always have a space to talk with other leaders who might be going through some of the similar work that you are. And so part of the work that we're trying to do is really the spiritual work of community and networking and helping people feel less alone. Would you say that's accurate? Oh, that's a huge piece of what we do. I think that it's it's that piece and the more macro piece, the the visioning work, the intentional, because leaders really, it's a tough job. When you are leading any community, doesn't matter how big or how small, it's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of conditions that you have to navigate. And it automatically, I think, feels lonely, um, especially in, in a lot of, most of our leaders are in hierarchical systems and that makes it especially lonely. Um, but then they they need a place for that sustenance, of course, we all do, but then to then use those skills and go back out because we can't just like, I think a lot of retreat centers and I think a, a lot of people just want to escape, but they don't want to rejuvenate and, and sow those seeds back into their work. And I think that's the difference of what we do. It's, it's not isolated. It's not just leave the leadership space. And then what happens when you come back? Everything that we do here is about really weaving this level of holistic visioning and an an integral ethical living back into your leadership. It's effective. It's extremely efficient. It's empowering. Um, Not only does it work for leaders, of course, it works for everyone. And so that's why we do the work that we do is to spread it out. Mm -hmm. So whether it's in the podcast, which you're listening to right now, um, our more intimate collective of leaders uh, whether that's in the work that we do through our institute and through our membership, and whether that's through our uh, consulting, we always try to spread that out. The good news, if I can say, mm. <laughs> that's not too Christocentric, um, the good news of what 
faith can be um, if it's taken out of a more limited context and allowed to, to breathe and to be more interspiritual and be in between people. I think that's what we're both called to do in the world with our ministry. We are. And I really have loved this conversation because we are very different. And I think that that actually, I hope that it inspires other people as well. It's definitely been tough at times in our organization um, because of our differences, but our radical openness and acceptance helps us weave it back in and helps us remember why we're really here and focus on the goal at hand, which is much bigger than any of our egos or any of the details. Um, It really focuses us in on it. And I hope that people out there are listening, feeling the same way, that we're in a space, especially in the U.S. right now, where these divides are feeling like oceans apart. And I think Dylan and I can attest to those moments. But when you look at someone as the enemy instead of as your spiritual you know, sibling, that really changes things. And we have an opportunity as leaders to walk our talk. And I, I hope that whoever is listening is doing that. Weave it in in whatever way you can in your life and be intentional about it because it truly is transformational. And that's what gets us in alignment. I have been called out so much in this work. The more we do it, the more I realize, oh, I got to work on myself. <laughs> well, and it's a gift, right? It's an opportunity. Absolutely. And I would, I would actually push something you said a little further and say it's not just something that we can do as leaders to walk our talk mm-hmm. it's, or something that we should do. It's something that we need to do as leaders. That that's what real leadership is. And that's one of my visions for this work is to bring and help leaders journey with leaders as they come back into alignment with what they are called to do as leaders, with what leadership really means to them, Uh, which I think a large component of that is, well, I have these values. How do I live into those values to to be my best self, to be my fullest self in the world? I totally agree. I love that you said that. Because this moment is in history is too crucial to keep asking and pleading with people to evolve. This is a now or never moment. And if you're listening to our podcast, you obviously get it. Like you're already here with us. And so please continue to do that work because this is a crucial moment in history. And and I believe that we're on the right side of history and and time will tell. Um, Thank you for saying that, though. I really agree. Right. And so if you feel empowered um, Mm -hmm. in your leadership, whatever that may look like. We do invite you to join us in the rest of our work besides the podcast, which you can find us at thefaithspace.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're also on faith, uh, Facebook. Facebook. Faith <laughs> I think there is a Facebook out there. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram uh, at, at the faith space Co. Yeah. Check us out. We exist in multiple areas of life, multiple ways to connect with us. Uh, if you're passionate about this work, please come to... We have a public event coming up. We have... Um, lots of different opportunities for people to engage. So, and definitely our coaching and consulting is taking off. Um, We have a limited number of spots. So if you want to be privately coached by both of us, Dylan and Kate, or um, one-on-one, please let us know. Or if your organization needs consulting in this way, if you feel revived and renewed and reconnected um, through this conversation, just imagine what it would be like to have us one-on-one in your space with, in your paradigm. 
That was the most like direct plug I think that we could have given for the rest of our work. Which but is it's wonderful. true, right? If you like it, great. And also we do amazing work on the planet and great leaders and whoever needs to hear this out there, listen up. Great leaders deserve to get paid and compensated and, and respected for what they do in the world. And so don't, you know, vice versa. We want to empower each, each other, right? In every level. So we wanted to thank everyone for uh, listening to this episode in which we got to just talk about ourselves for yeah. a little bit and a little bit about faith and what brings us to this work. Uh, and we invite each of you to get in touch with what brings you to the work that you do and to remember that you are a blessing and you are blessed. Mm-hmm.